Welcome to the Modecast podcast. So we're a podcast powered by us over here at ModeShift, and we chat about all things mobility. So thanks for joining us today. As always, I'm your host, Maxwell Mickey. But before we dive into today's episode, please make sure to subscribe, follow us on your preferred streaming platforms. Give us a like if you do. Let us know if you don't. And we'll dive in here. Uh, but so today we have a few folks on. I'm from Alexandria's System Dash in Virginia. Um, so we have Josh Baker, CEO, and Martin Barna, uh, who is their director of planning and marketing. So gentlemen, thanks for both being on the show. Super excited to have you. The reason that we're excited to have you on the podcast and chat, um, well, one of the many reasons, but Dash has been fair free for a bit been a really, really hot topic in the industry. A lot of folks want to understand, you know, how's it working? You know, what does it look like after it's been running for a while? You know, hurdles that you face, things like that. Um, but before we get into that piece, we'd love to hear a quick story. You know, how did you both get into transit? People always are curious about the, the path and how long have you been with Dash? I should probably share a similar story to a lot of people in getting into transit. I kind of fell into it. And that was when I was in college. Uh, so I've been in the industry now for over 23 years. I started out as a bus operator, did it as a part-time job, really enjoyed it. Wasn't the greatest academic uh, person, so had to kind of figure my way out. After a couple of years floundering around, I realized, hey, why don't I apply my interest in transit uh, as a career and figure out how to be more involved? So I've spent a lot of time learning all the different ins and outs of transit. I've uh, been the general manager now of uh, three different systems. Also was involved in my first system at Virginia Tech, Blacksburg Transit, in a variety of roles, ranging from bus operator to supervisor to even a mechanic for a few minutes. So kind of tried to get a little taste of everything and I just really enjoy the industry. So that's how I've ended up where I am today. Oh, very cool. Started even all the way back in college. <laughs> um, uh, so we got industry vet. Uh, very nice. Well, thanks, Josh. All right, Mark, what was you? What's your story? How'd you get into transit? Yeah, similar, but a little bit different route. Uh, you know, I grew up being just fascinated by cities. I grew up in the D.C. area, so always was riding the orange line in D.C. I guess you'd call it kind of the SimCity generation, or just kind of really fascinated by 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 all that involved in in, in city creation and in development of, of a vibrant city that uh, is a, a desirable place for people to live. So um, I, I studied urban planning in college naturally, and then uh, as, as I get to the graduate level, I discovered a transportation land use class that really started to get me thinking. So eventually, I made my way to um, VTA in San Jose, California. I worked as a service planner there, um, and I really found my passion there. I think transit kind of finds you. It's a certain type of person that really it's enjoys cool uh, transit, like especially planning. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I worked at VTA in Santa Clara for about five years and then I came back home to DC and I've been with Dash for uh, just over six years now, director of planning and marketing. Well, very nice. Yeah. We always are curious how, how folks kind of get into it. So talk to us a little bit about the decision to go, you know, fare free and when did it happen? When did that change over? Tell us about kind of the internal conversations like while debating that. Um, cause it's, it's, you know, it's a big change for a lot of organizations, right? So kind of how did we arrive there? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start that and Martin can talk a little bit more about the, the details of it, but on a high level, I think that fare free transit has always been in some ways a dialogue throughout the entirety of my career. You know, I think back to my days as a driver and kind of wondering, is it really equitable and why is it that some people are having to drop money in this fare box? And in my case, you know, students were able to ride for free, but the public had to pay. So I had scratched my head a little bit at that. But more recently here in Alexandria, it had been a discussion before the pandemic as to whether it would be something that would even potentially be feasible 
And although it's a relatively small chunk of our budget, it really always comes down to money as everything does. Um, right. So, you know, thinking about it and talking about it was one thing, seeing a practical way and a means to make it happen was another. The sort of precipice that gave us the opportunity to do this was the pandemic and many transit systems throughout the country, I think, thought the same way. But our discussion about it had been sort of, I would say, on a low simmer before the pandemic. And it really is, to me, about equity. It's about accessibility to transit, treating treating transit as an infrastructure and not as a business, as it has largely been treated for the entirety of its existence. And you, know, you look back and you realize that transit was privately operated in the United States, and that failed. I mean, that was a, that was a model that didn't work. The reason for that is you can't recover the money that it costs to operate transit strictly out of the pockets of the people that ride and make it a meaningful experience for them. So, you know, I think that it's always kind of been a thought, but for us, it was really the opportunity of the pandemic and the funding. But I'll kick it to Martin and let him talk a little bit about the details of how we kind of moved into that arena and what came out of the pandemic and some of the methods we used. Yeah, I would love to hear too, Martin. Yeah, um, you know the delivery to the public and you know marketing that information and making sure riders are aware and kind of that change too. Yeah, yeah, I can talk about that too. Um, I mean, Josh kind of nailed it in terms of how we arrived at free fares, and it wasn't an arrival; it was a kind of a gradual thing that we've been talking we've been talking about for a number of years. You know, we have a very supportive uh, board of directors for Dash, and then also our city council with Alexandria uh, have made it a priority to really help, especially low income re- residents in the community. So I think kind of the, the pandemic and the fact that ridership was already low and, you know, fare box revenues were already kind of down, but also trying to help with the pandemic recovery. A lot of the, you know, as, as you always hear, the, the pandemic hit the pockets of the low income residents the hardest. Um, so trying to make sure that we're finding ways to, to make things a little easier for them to get around and help with the recovery. Um, because it's not just, you know, it's not just about you know, the people that are riding the transit. It's also about the entire city, because the more people that are on the buses, the better it is for everybody. So um, I think just in terms of what we did, uh, we, we did a study back in, I think that would have been 2020, um, that kind of looked at different options about reduced fares. Uh, do we have a program where we offer half half price fares or- Yeah, or, hey, or hey Martin, fares? how did you do that study? Was it, did you kind of put it together? I know it's difficult to put together studies and look at analysis quickly, but how did you kind of wrap that one up? Yeah, so we did hire a consultant for that one. Uh, mm-hmm. And we looked at kind of three different scenarios that would have either kind of a fare free for everybody, a free fare for if you qualify at a certain income level or half price fare for a certain income level. And I think what really jumped out at us from that study is that the administrative burden and just the impact on customers would be just immeasurably greater for all free fares. If you just rip the bandaid off, um, you just cover the fare boxes up and let everybody on. There's just so many barriers that are created by programs for, you know, income verification, means testing. Even if you have a program like food stamps where you can kind of tag into that, you see just such a, a low number of actual people using and benefiting from program compared to the ones that are eligible. So there's really a barrier to entry with those types of programs that we wanted to remove. And there are a lot of people that are just kind of above that income threshold. Maybe their their income's a little too high. Uh, to mm-hmm. meet the threshold, but they could still really benefit from these types of free fare programs. So we wanted to, to maximize the benefit, and uh, we had a very supportive leadership at Dash in the city uh, that enabled us that enabled us to do that. Yeah, awesome. Was there any pushback from any city organizations or you know anything like that, boards, or was everyone kind of on board and understood kind of the the direction and importance? I don't know if I would describe it as pushback, but more as hesitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is that. When you talk about eliminating fares, you have not only a financial gap to make up, but you have a sort of a policy decision that is 
an effect now and in the future. And the ability to roll back that policy decision is is very very limited. So for us, you know, it was a lot of thinking a lot of thinking about how does this impact our community? Why why would we do it? And do those pros outweigh the cons that could potentially come up in the future? And certainly in our case, we've seen that they definitely do. I mean, the success rate of this is, is significant, but politics change, right? And people change opinions and you, you have new elected officials over time. And sometimes even as a result of the change of the economic climate and other external factors, there can become a change in the political will to do something like this. In our case, though, I think as Martin stated, we have a very supportive community and council. We've clearly demonstrated the success of this. So that component is uh, is certainly not an ongoing challenge for us. What I think the other concern for us is, you know, we were collecting maybe around $4 million a year that of, you know, in a budget just shy of $30 million. So reality is it was a chunk of the budget, but not such a significant one that it made up the majority of, of, our, uh, of our funding. And so... You know, when we think about that and we potentially have someone who comes along and says, you've got to make up that difference. And they look at look to us and say, how are you going to make up that difference? Well, the only real way to make up that difference is in, is in adjusting service. And so our priority and the board's priority was to state very clearly at the onset of this, that's not an option. We're not interested in being fair free to sacrifice the quality or quantity of our service. And so that was probably an, a factor that I think has been a concern. It hasn't really materialized to any large extent yet, but it certainly is a question that gets asked frequently. So Yeah, I know that's uh, obviously a huge piece of, you know, the fair free um, that a lot of agencies probably have some type of reservations fear about, hey, how do we make up this financial gap? Um, it's not something that, you know, we have the money, like, how do we keep operating? So is there different grants that you go after? Um, like, how do you balance that maintaining service while, you know, going fare free of the same quality or not, if not better service? Yeah. So I think one of the things that we've done really well and we've been really fortunate with is that we have a number of grants that we've been able to secure uh, that have helped both with service and offsetting the, the cost of free fares. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest one for free fares is, is our state uh, Department of Rail and Public Transportation offered a new grant program called the TRIP program. I think it's a transit ridership incentive program that was specifically designed for these types of fare relief programs. Okay, um, and that's so we were successful in applying for the state of Virginia. Yeah, but I think that other, other states have, have considered as well. But we've been extremely successful. We've, we were able to secure funding through that that has offset a portion of the uh, of the, the lost revenues from from free fares, uh, the city has to. It's it's a program that kind of re- relies on a local match as well. But that's a significant grant that we were able to take advantage of for the next uh, couple years. So that that has been a big part of it as well. Uh, but you're you're right. The the biggest barrier to free fares is going to be the the financial aspect. You know, finding funding for it, finding political will for it. And yeah, as Josh said, we're we're concerned, but we're we're fortunate that we've been, I think, one of the only agencies that have been able to implement free fares while also stressing uh, the importance of frequency, having a frequent bus network. We you know recently redesigned our network. Actually, the same day that we went fare free was the day that we launched our brand new Dash bus network back in September of 2021. So I think having that complement of both the free fares and the more useful frequent all day service has really been the, the foundation of the success that we've seen over the last. You know, 18 months or so. Okay. Yeah, it's a big undertaking um, to, to kind of swap to fare free and also, you know, redesigning and, you know, enhancing the network. 
how did you communicate all of that to, to riders, you know, launching those things in the same day? And, and then I think a huge question, you know, looming on everybody's mind is, you know, how's that affected ridership? You know, what does it look like comparatively? Yeah, absolutely. It, it um, I, I would say, you know, well, well the, the new network was a much longer, I think we started that project back in 2017. It was called our Alexander Transit Vision Plan. And then it, the first phase of which was the new Dash network that we launched back in 2021. But the new Dash network implementation, you know, took over a year to plan. We, you know, re- redrew all of our routes uh, to provide more useful service in key corridors. And we renumbered routes. Uh, we had new bus stops and things to consider. And we were doing it all right overnight. So we were having a whole, we basically had stop covers over all the, the stops. And then we went around overnight and ripped the stop covers off to reveal the, the new network. So it was a, a lot of coordination, a full year to figure that out. And then on the communication side, I mean, that was a huge part of it because people had to relearn a whole new network that they had been using for the past, you know, 35 years. So that was probably the big, biggest challenge was probably the communication, just kind of helping people to learn, you know, how to, how to use this new network, how it benefits them, why, you know, why did we do this in the first mm-hmm. place? So we had some tools that we're able to use for that. A lot of, you know, pop-up events, you know, route comparison tools. We had a, a trip planner that you could enter your trip and the specific time of day and you could see, you know, how you're able to make your trip today and how you're able to make it with a new network. And I think things like that were really mm-hmm. helpful in, you know, communicating uh, to the public and helping them understand. We did get a lot of complaints, a lot of questions right. like, what, what is my new route now? But I think after the first month, it really settled down and people, you know, began to begin to understand it better. And, and you asked about ridership. I mean, ridership has been, we've seen unprecedented ridership growth in the last 15 months. You know, we, we obviously were down during the pandemic. We were down around 50% of pre-pandemic levels before we okay. launched the new network and free fares. Presently, we are well above pre-pandemic levels. We're the only, actually the only major transit agency in the DC area that is above pre-pandemic ridership levels. We saw, I think, over uh, 380,000 boardings back in September, which was the highest single month we've seen for Dash since 2015. So, you know, seven years and then our daily ridership, when you compare it to before the, the pandemic has doubled for weekday, Saturday and Sunday with, with the biggest gains coming during off peak periods. Um, so I think that's kind of a testament to the power of providing more frequent all day service in key corridors combined with the free fares. So just making it a lot easier to use, a lot more accessible. Yeah, that, yeah, is, thank you. that is very impressive. Um, there's a lot of, I think, communities that are, you know, hey, how do we figure this out? You know, how do we get back to, you know, even close to pre-pandemic numbers, let alone, you know, exceed them? So so that kind of success is pretty unprecedented. That's that's amazing. Is it the decision, are we going to stay fare-free, continue down that path? <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, <laughs> given the things I kind of highlighted before and what we're seeing in the immediate future, absolutely. So as Martin mentioned, we have this grant and one of the great things about how this grant is set up is that it provides three years of step-down funding with the fourth year being no funding from the grant, but you are required to continue the program for that for at least that year. So what it does is it essentially helps the locality to build this into a long-term sustainable funding model. In Alexandria, we have seen the numbers, we know the effect it's having, and we see the support uh, continuing. So we are not anticipating going back anytime in the near future and hopefully ever. We have a fair free framework that was established by the board in conjunction with staff when at the onset of going fair free. And that really helps to define the steps and the sort of points of no return on mm-hmm. certain elements of fair collection. And, and one of those we're coming up on, and that is 
actually physically removing the fare box equipment from all of our buses. Martin's team has led a project to outfit our entire fleet with automated passenger counters. And so we are 100% equipped with those. We're working through the certification process. And when that's done, the drivers won't even have to deal with counting passengers at all. And so that removal of that technology that's on the bus right now, the what is very old and outdated, mm-hmm. is another one of those points in the plan that helps us to further solidify the fare free uh, program. And I would just say that any system that's considering doing this really needs to consider those factors and create some local agreement as to what it is that you are going to do at what points in the implementation of a program like this. Because fare box equipment is a major investment and something that oftentimes transit systems struggle to fund. In our case, we were right there with old, outdated equipment that really was getting ready to be replaced. And we figured out that we were anticipating spending at least $5 million to refit the, the fleet with fare equipment. That's more than a year's worth of fares collected at the very peak of our fare collection in history. Those are things that come along with this fare-free framework that help to make sure that everyone understands where we are and where we're going. And that this is not about a light switch. You don't flip it on and off at will. And it's not something, it's not a decision that you take lightly. And it's not a commitment that's typically rolled back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that from not only talking with our peers who've already done this, but in our own experience as well. Yeah, very nice. So what, yeah, uh, I think we have a pretty strong. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Martin. I was just going to jump in and say, I think we have a pretty compelling story that, that shows that this is something that needs to be kept. I mean, we've done customer surveys and I mean, aside from the ridership, you know, the customer surveys show that the, the community has really responded to this program. Uh, we've got, you know, lots of testimonials about, you know, how it's made a change in their lives. You know, obviously the ridership we've seen, but but really what we've found is that uh, 20, over 20% of our, our riders are new riders that have started riding since the uh, new network and free fares were launched. 70% of our existing riders are riding more because of free fares and, and, and the new network. So I think we're seeing just a, a really tremendous response from the community, especially when you look at the low, low income and socioeconomically disadvantaged parts of our community, those percentages are even higher. So I think it's really um, a beneficial program and, and it's really achieving the goals that we've, we've set out for it. Yeah, it's hard to argue with data like that. <laughs> um, but uh, as we wrap up here, would love to say, do you have any final kind of words of advice or encouragement for any agencies that are, you know, looking to go down, you know, the path that Dash has been successfully uh, galloping down? Well, I'll let Martin start with that one because he's he's been more in the the details of this than I have. But I'll let him start with that answer. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you, Josh. And, and I, I would just, I mean, it, it, it has been a very successful program. We've got a, a report that we just put out, dashbus.com slash free. So you can check out more details about that. But, um, you know, there, there have been challenges um, and you can read about them in the report. Nothing, nothing too major that would cause us to kind of reassess the program, but, but it's, it's not all, um, you know, it's, it's not quite as easy as it might, might look. I, I think just overall, I would say the, the importance of free fares and lowering barriers overall it's just such a critical thing. You know, it's not just about the the money for free fares. It's also the ability to to understand and and the the system. So if you go to a new city and you're you're not familiar with with how to, how their transit system works, it's not just the two dollars. It's trying to figure out how do you pay that two dollars. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a fear of if there's a, a a transit police that you have to worry about and getting a citation. So there's a lot of um, especially if you're you're in a foreign country or a country a place that doesn't speak your language, you know that is even more difficult. So I think that there's a lot of barriers besides just the money itself. 
that make the case for for free fare as a compelling one. But I would just say, lastly, that you know we've talked about a little bit, but the importance of service cannot be overstated. Overstated. Just combining free, but you all need to couple it with with frequent service, frequent all day service, not just weekdays, but also on weekends. I think that's really important to you know. It's difficult financially, but uh, I think that's an important note to make. You know, I agree with everything that Martin said, and I would add, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, this is about rethinking how transit is treated, both on a local and national level. And I think it's important on the level of a leader of a transit agency that's looking at doing this to really be active in discussing how the community and how the political leaders are seeing seeing this service, right? Do you understand that it is an infrastructure? Do you see it that way? Do you view it as a business? And if you view it as a business, what really are your expectations of this business? Because frankly, in the majority of the time, if you try to view transit as a business, it is a failing bankrupt business. That's because just the cost to provide quality service cannot be passed down to the rider. You see that in other things. You see you know, various rideshares coming and going, and you see the challenges that rideshares face in providing, I guess I would say, the deal that transit provides, <laughs> the, the, the opportunity, the flexibility, and um, the equity, as Martin pointed out, that, that transit provides. So it's really, to me, a big part of this continuing shift of rethinking how transit is viewed in our country. And to Martin's point, as an infrastructure, we need to invest in that. We invest in roads and bridges. We invest in public services. We invest in fire, police, uh, healthcare. We need to invest in transit because transit is a means to accessing your life. It's a means to moving around. It's a means to your own survival and, and the economic sustainability and growth of this country. So. I just think that it's really important for agencies who are talking about this to also not just focus on the question of fare free, but the question of what is transit and how is it viewed um, in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing, and maybe a little bias as well, but you know, very wholeheartedly agreed that <laughs> you know more you know funding and dollars has to go into that you know infrastructure to to help people move. It's it's how communities live and breathe and grow, and it's just it's an artery you know that that has to be invested in for growth. So, so I totally agree there. But uh, I think we're probably uh, bumping up against time today. Josh, Martin, thank you both so much for being on the podcast, chatting about kind of the fare free scenario, um, but also success, you know, in Alexandria. So congrats to both of you. Um, but again, thanks so much for being on today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, thanks. And for all of our, our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, um, please be sure to subscribe. Um, you get a notification when we have a new one posted. Please rate and review. Let us know if you like it. Share it with some colleagues and friends in the industry. Thank you again for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great takeaways and some uh, cool insights. 